0: Hi, this is Russell Javers, and you're listening to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast.
1: Welcome to Glass Houses,
2: a Billy Joel
1: podcast.
2: I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us.
1: Probably the last thing you think of when it comes to Billy Joel's music is reggae, but that influence is there. And if it's subtle, it's because it comes from
2: arguably the most understated member of the classic Lords of 52nd Street, Russell Javers. In a band where the spotlight is squarely on the piano, Russell's rhythm guitar playing was tight, economical, and often in the background. But it was always in the right place at the right time. To paraphrase drummer Liberty DeVito, you don't always notice what Russell's playing, but you'll notice when it's not there. Russell played on many of Billy's biggest hits and logged hundreds of shows over more than a decade of touring with the band. Before that, he was part of Topper, the group that would become the longtime backing band for Billy.
1: And he was always writing his own songs in the background, a few of which were released by different artists. His music, both with Billy and on his own, has shades of classic 70s singer songwriters while also portraying his love of the Beatles, rockabilly, and reggae, among other influences.
2: After departing the Billy Joel band before the Stormfront album, Russell made a radical, while ultimately fulfilling, career change. And today, he's back on tour with the Lords of 52nd Street, celebrating the music he and his friends helped make into modern classics. For this episode,
1: we spoke with Liberty
2: DeVito, Richie Cannata, and Russell's son Jesse Javers. Join us for part one of a very special two-part series on Russell Javers, where we talk with some of the people who know him best. This episode was a different approach for us. Let me tell you, I was excited to do this one. I think Russell is really the most underdocumented and understated member of the Lords of 52nd Street. Uh, I think, you know, Doug certainly lives on uh, in legend, uh, not only for his work, but also for being so instrumental in getting the band together. You know, Liberty is just Liberty. He's he's just bigger than life. Uh, Richie does so much, you know, Richie does so much work now that, you know, his name stays up there. And Russell's, you know, as he was on record, he sort of is... Uh, a very quiet, very understated, always sort of serving someone other than himself in a lot of ways, which is something that actually happened at a pivotal point in his career, as we'll find out later. You're right about that. He is
1: such a nice guy, incredibly funny, and has such a storied career
2: that was really a treat to finally get on record here. So before we get into all the great stories, let's just do some snapshot biographical information. Much of this comes from the Long Island Music Hall of Fame website, limusichalloffame.org. It says Russell Javers was born in Brooklyn in 1952 and spent his childhood in Plainview. That's on Long Island. He developed his musical chops in a junior high school band and at age 15 began going to My House, a popular club in Plainview, to watch other local bands perform, especially two of his favorites. The Hassles, featuring Billy Joel, and New Rock Workshop with drummer Liberty DeVito. Javers and DeVito became friends and the two spent many afternoons at DeVito's house in Seaford trying to put a band together. Javers was introduced to Doug Stegmaier in high school. With his parents' support, Javers met with his musician friends regularly at his house. He and Plainview guitarist Howie Emerson would sit for hours working out guitar parts and arrangements to Javers' songs. Eventually, Javers, Emerson, DeVito, and Stegmaier would get together to play. They'd record sessions with Stegmeier's brother, Al, who was a musician and accomplished engineer. Al would lead them to form a band known as Topper. In 1974, Doug Stegmaier began a fate-changing tour with Billy Joel. When Joel decided to record with New York musicians in 1976, he turned to Stegmeier, who gradually brought DeVito, Emerson, and Javers into the fold. The four musicians, with Richie Cannata, would bring their unique spark to the songs that formed Joel's album, Turnstiles. Over the years, Javers also worked with Karen Carpenter, Slash, Phoebe Snow, and Iggy Pop, among others. Later, his work in the toy industry eventually landed him in Hong Kong as vice president of a large Chinese manufacturing company. So that's the basics. That's the skeleton of the story, and uh, we are honored to, to put the flesh on the bones, if you will. <laughs> he's a great guy. His stories are so, so good. And
1: he's had quite a career, you know, from the music he made growing up with Doug and Liberty and later Richie and David, they were his brothers. So it's so fitting
2: that he came back to this music in recent years. And, you know, we stressed the reggae thing in the intro, and that really came out of something Russell told us during our chat with him, uh, when he was talking about, in particular, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me, and once he described what he was doing and where it was coming from, you know, it just, to me, just broke open so much more of Billy's music and really explained one of the many things, you know, that made this music so unique. I don't know if it's going to make it into the final cut, but, uh, you know, I was saying, I was... Michael and I were telling Russell at one point just, you know, how much Billy's music meant to us that that was our Beatles. And I said, yeah, it it almost like ruined me for other music. You could always tell Billy's music was different somehow. Even as a kid, you couldn't put your finger on it. And, you know, all these years later, you just get this little glimmer of something. That just opens up another dimension to the music that explains so much.
1: You know, they all had the common influences. You know, the Beatles touched everyone in that band. To hear some of these schools of playing and, you know, the reggae influence and these different influences that fit so well into the pop music that Billy Joel was writing at the time. It was a perfect marriage. And this band and Russell fit Billy's music so well and really brought some life to these fantastic songs.
2: And we're going to get into those stories and all these great conversations in a moment. But I did want to point out that if you're looking to hear more of Russell's music, the album you need to go find is Karen Carpenter's self-titled album. It was recorded between 1979 and 1980, but it wasn't released until well after Carpenter had passed away. The album actually came out in 1996. On that album, the songs All Because of You and Still In Love With You were written by Javers, and the record was produced by Phil Ramone. So those are The two clearest examples of his writing for other people, but, but stay tuned this time because we have some exclusive stuff for you coming up. Uh, Russell, because he's the awesome dude he is, uh, emailed us a couple songs, which we'll discuss. And I mean, we're talking demos with Just Liberty, stuff he recorded with Doug, possibly a song by Topper, a band I think all us huge Billy Joel fans have heard the name of over and over and over again. And have never heard a note of. So we're gonna hear a little of that music, and we're also gonna hear why we haven't heard that music before. How's that for a cliffhanger? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> You'll get
1: a glimpse of his writing and and his with the guitar being a little more upfront with some of this material, it'll help kind of place in your head where his playing fit into a lot of the Billy Joel music. I think you'll hear a lot of his school of playing that will now lead you to some of those uh, Billy Joel songs.
2: Right. So with all that in mind, let's start off with a conversation with one of Russell's oldest friends, Liberty DeVito.
3: The first time I met Russell was when uh, his father dropped him off at my parents' house. Russell was 15 years old. I think I was 17. Uh, I was uh, actually playing with the New Rock Workshop at the time. I met Russell through the My House, where the New Rock Workshop played, and Harry Weber was Elizabeth Webber's brother. He was in the hassles before Billy. Billy took his place. So he wanted to start a new band. So it was me, Russ, and Harry. Unfortunately, Harry um, left the planet way too soon, and uh, that band never happened.
1: You and he became friends at that point and still maintained that relationship, even though that initial band didn't come to anything, huh?
3: Yeah, well, we remained friends, and you know, he he uh, he was very young, and I was only seventeen, didn't have a driver's license, so I went through the whole Mitch Ryder thing and everything like that. Then the whole Topper thing was starting, because I went through the Mitch Ryder uh, phase and then the Super phase, and that's where I had my uh, a car accident. And after my car accident, I wanted nothing to do with music, but I was already dabbling in stuff with Russ with Russ and Doug. I remember being invited to Russell's uh, house. He was having a party in his backyard. Uh, I was invited because I, Russ thought it would spark something in me to want to play because I had given up drums then. Uh, after my car accident, I got engaged. Uh, I was going to lead a normal life. And uh, so I get invited to this party in his backyard. And him and, and a bunch of guys, Doug Stegman, one of them, uh, started to play. And, his, and a friend of his, Ken, Kenny Romanowski, who was a fantastic guitar player, started to play they did a version of Blackbird where uh, Russ would do the, the Blackbird part, Blackbird sitting in the dead of night. And then Kenny would play this ripping guitar in between every, every line, you know, it was great. But at the time there was another guitar player playing too. And that was Howard Emerson. I was impressed, but not inspired yet. Uh, so I walked away from that. Like, Oh, and those guys are really good. Well, good luck to them. But Ross kept hounding, uh, hounding me and coming over my house and, and, and leaving notes and, uh, all, all kinds of things like that. He, he would burst into my house and, and, and I'd be sleeping and, and he'd put a 45 on the, on, on the turntable of the record player. It was in my room and say, listen to this. This is so great. This is rock and roll. We need to do this.
1: We need, you know, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. That was one takeaway I caught from your book too, that I, I never knew that story, how, out of everyone, he was the one friend who was who wasn't going to let have you let go of that. No,
3: no, he, him, and my friend Bob Ray, who led me to the weddings that that uh, when I thought I was, I needed money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I thought I was insane for doing, you know, playing the weddings. But I learned more than I ever learned there, and I eventually got Doug to play with me there, and Ivan Elias, who who went on to play with Scandal, uh, you know. We all played weddings. Yeah. You know. And uh, it was the most fun I ever had. But we, me and Doug were doing Topper now at the same time as we were playing the weddings. So we're making money doing the weddings, losing money playing with Topper.
1: <laughs> so that was kind of funding you, allow, you were making enough to allow you to try to do this and not have to worry so much about money and Topper.
3: Kind of like when, uh, when the, the, the actors do these movies that you watch and you, and you say, why are they doing that movie? And that's to fund their, the movies that they really wanted to do. You know, Billy was, was very smart at what he did. I mean, taking Topper as a unit, he got the tightest band that you could possibly get. You know, when people say, wow, I saw Billy Joel on the Turnstiles tour. You guys were so tight. Yeah, well, me, Doug, Russell and Howard were playing for years. Right. Together. You know, of course we were tight.
1: Especially I remember the story you said where, you know, Billy overheard some of the other guys badmouthing him and then realizing that Doug wasn't part of that group. I think, you know, he could see that, Okay. So if I can trust Doug here, I think I'm going to trust his opinion on, you know, who to play with me.
3: And the way it happened was so great. You know, me and Doug recording Turnstiles with Billy, just the three of us. And then Billy saying, oh, we need guitar players, you know? And he, yeah, we do. (laughs) As a matter of fact.
1: (laughs) And there's something about the, I don't want to, I don't know if the word innocence is right, but just the, there's, there's not so much wrapped up in the session to where it's, There's so many hands in it. It's just you guys in the room, right? And him deciding, like, hey, you know, let's try this, let's do this. There's no one leaning over your shoulder saying, no, 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 or you know, do this instead. You could just make the call you felt was right at the time.
3: That's what was great about the first album, Turnstiles. Was like, it was just us. There was no producer or whatever telling us what to do. Mm -hmm. We were doing what we felt. Well, this sounds good. You know, I think this will fit in the song. I think this will be great. You know,
1: you guys already felt like a unit, even without somebody, a producer steering the ship, you know, and and
3: bringing uh, Russ and and Howard in, they added so much, you know, because Russ played a beautiful acoustic guitar. Uh, You you heard the topper stuff. You know, you know what it sounds like. You know, the parts that Russ came up with on on the acoustic guitar, just beautiful. And nobody could play reggae, you know, like in, uh, uh, all you want to do is dance. Nobody could play those chicks like Russell did because the Topper was doing reggae in the clubs when reggae was unheard of. Right. You know?
1: I-, I want to touch back a little more on on Topper. So tell me about how a little bit how that really kind of came together. Once once you decided to start playing again, how you and Russell and you know Doug and everyone really started going.
3: I, I was engaged to a girl. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Married three times, engaged once. A <laughs> no loser. Uh, anyway, um, so I was engaged to this girl Diane when I was playing the weddings. Broke up with her because the waitresses became very interesting at the at the weddings. So I <laughs> couldn't do, I couldn't move up. Anyway, uh, so when Topper started, you know, it, I, I had nothing to lose. I mean, I was making a couple of bucks playing the weddings. Uh, I'm playing with Doug, and we, um, we were now forming Topper and rehearsing with, at Russell, at Russell and Suzanne. They had uh, been together now as a couple. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because Suzanne, I first met Suzanne, I, I she was eight years old, and I was banging my drumsticks on the back of the school bus seat that she was sitting in. That's how oh, I met Suzanne. So
1: you go that far back with Suzanne. Way yeah. back,
3: yeah, yeah. with yeah. Suzanne and, and Jerry, and, yeah. And um, so playing with Topper, I was... Learning, you know, at the end of my book, when I I put that uh, band family tree together and I I put with Topper, I put down, I was learning how to be original, you know, with Topper. The way Russell played, I remember Howard Emerson telling me this. He goes, do you think you would play as good as you did if you never played with Russell? And I have to say, I probably wouldn't play as good as I do now because Russell taught me tricks that are lasting when the listener hears them. Right. You know, they're not just flashy stuff. And they, they, they're, they're little tricks that yeah. you do that, you know, that you, you listen as a drummer and you, you don't go, Oh my God, that was so great. You, you go like, wow, that was cool. You know, like that kind of stuff. Because of Russell's playing and trying to follow along with him, you know, and of course Doug was right there with him too. So playing with those two guys and, and how just putting his slide up on top, um, just really formed me into the drummer that Billy got. You know?
1: You talk about The next thing I was going to actually talk to you about was describing Russell's playing, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I remember the first time hearing the Topper material. It was so unorthodox, but still wrapped in a pop song in a way.
3: Right. He plays inside his his movements of his guitar. Mm -hmm. I mean, he sings inside there. Right. It's like almost percussion in his vocals.
1: Yeah, there's you know? a there's a much different attack than typical singers.
3: And he has that really long vibrato that uh, 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 you know. Yeah, that's that's really cool in slow songs and the way the way he stops things just by holding the strings rather than cutting it short. You know, just holds the strings and makes them go away.
1: His style is so uncommon. Like I, I've. I've never seen a guitar player that plays that naturally the way he does.
3: I'm so glad that he doesn't play with a lot of other people because his style has stayed the same. He just sent me a, a, a demo of a song that he just wrote. It's so good. It is so Russell. It's unbelievable. You know, he wants me to put drums on it. now. i got to put drums on it.
1: As a rhythm guitar player with Billy, Russell is the kind of player where it doesn't necessarily stand out in the mix of the unit, but if it's gone... there's a void.
3: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because my brother Vinny, when when he came, he used to come to the shows all the time we played on Long Island. And one night he said to me, he said, I don't know what Russell does, but when he stops, it's really noticeable. (laughs) It's like pulling out John Lennon out of a Beatles song.
1: It's such an unglamorous school of guitar playing, but it really is the glue that brings it all together, I feel.
3: From learning how to play guitar, you know, a little rhythm, just messing around playing rhythm guitar. Uh, I I realized that wow this is really connected to the to the um uh hi hat that I'm playing you know it's the same thing it's yeah. the same thing going on and, and even in the song just the way you are the way the drums got into the song was the sound of that brush was it's just the same timbre as the sound of those acoustic guitars yeah. that were being played you know i mean there, there's definitely a, a a thing to rhythm playing you know yeah
1: and the one thing i always notice too with russell is um you could feel it in his body movement on stage, too. Like, he had this, like, this shoulder roll that would just work right. with what he was playing. It's, I mean, visually, if you if you look for it, you'll see it. But I, I always thought that was fascinating how it was all connected there with him.
3: He was such a, he still is, such a rocker. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget the time he came in my room and, and put on a uh, here, knocking by Ed, Dave Edmonds. And it was like, he was like, listen to this. This is it. It's like, like uh, rock and roll is going to be saved. Thank goodness. (laughs) Something like this now. Yeah. I remember him coming over and bringing uh, Springsteen's first album and going like, wow, this is this is what they're calling the new music. You know, this is going to be the new thing. And we were both like, "Eh, that's cool. But, you know. (laughs) Yeah. A
1: lot of chords. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: And then we hooked up with the chord master himself. (laughs) (laughs) The guy that can't play one, four, five. (laughs) <laughs> Got to put something else in there before he gets into five.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you talked about a little bit, Um. you know, when you guys were working on Turnstiles. And so it, it seemed like it was such, such a very natural thing when you guys recommended Russell. Billy was just like, absolutely sure.
3: We were recording uh, Topper songs as we were doing Turnstiles. Of course, we were in Ultrasonic Studios recording Russell. When Russell wasn't a part of it, it was a little disappointing that we had to go with Billy and leave Russell as... Topper, you right. know, but we, me and Doug had done uh, most of the tracks that Russell wanted to record. Mm-hmm. And he just had to do the vocals. And then when I heard the things later, uh, there were strings on them and, and everything. And it was really, really good, wow. you know. And then when we went to um, Australia once, uh, Columbia Records there was very interested in uh, Russell and Topper. And we um, went and recorded um, a song in Australia as like a demo for Columbia Records. Yeah. And you know the story in the book. It's like Russell was headed for a deal and then it was squashed because somebody told Billy they'd they'd lose his band.
1: Billy didn't want to lose the rest of you. His deal was a no-go.
3: You know, he had a lot of influence at the time, Billy. Yeah,
1: because if if this was three years earlier, it probably would have been no problem.
3: And I write the book from that perspective like why did Billy do these things well his career has been like 50 years now you know you have to do things like that you know it's not being mean it's just like it's like I have to do this because I need to get this band so I can keep going you know or do I let this band go out themselves and then I fall and then what if they don't make it you know
1: because obviously you know there was that period where Russell wasn't playing with you guys with Billy obviously do you remember what you know what his side of it was at the time was it that a tough thing for him to deal with or was, you know, was he, you know, how was he dealing with all that?
3: After we recorded Turnstiles, Russell went on the Turnstiles. Well, I don't even think Russell went on a Turnstiles tour. He might've gone up with just Howard. went on
1: the- He did part of it. It's funny because Jack and I have been going through some of these old shows to put some timeline together. It was Russell originally, and then it transitioned to Howard. Right. and Russell was gone. And then by the time the stranger cycle came along, it was that Frank guy for a bit. And then right. Russell came on near the end of that. Right.
3: And Russell stayed up until the, uh, after the bridge album. Right. Up until Stormfront. Almost. Right. Yeah. Then Dave, David Brown came in at, at about the same time Russell came back. with well, 52nd Street. Yeah. 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 And that combo was great.
1: That's one thing that took things up another notch, too, when David Brown came into the fold. And I don't think people ever thought of Billy Pryor as a two guitarist band because right. it was so piano driven. But the way the two of them worked together. Yeah. Talk about never stepping on each other's toes, but complimenting each other so well. So fun to see the two of them play.
3: They knew how to do it. You know, like like Russell and Howard knew how to do it. So did Russell and David. Uh, it's, it's hard now when we can find guitar players for the Lords to find a guitar player that can play with Russ. You know, because he's so in his thing. A lot of players, bass players, have a difficult time sometimes playing with me because I'm so in my thing, especially playing Billy songs. They have to learn how how the bass was played in those songs in order to play with me. And that's, you know, the songs that Russell played on with Billy, the, the guitar player, the other second guitar player has to figure out what did Russell do. You know, so it's great playing with the Lords now because we're all there. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's comedy.
1: (laughs) Obviously, you guys started playing with Billy uh, at the Turnstiles era. Was was there any moment or like any time period where it kind of clicked where you all felt like, you know, you all had something like really special at your hand, you know, on your hands? You know, not the hits, not the success, but just felt musically that, okay, this is something great.
3: I I never felt that. I, I never felt like, well, this is really we're great. No. yeah uh, you know I, I think that would have put us in an Eagles category or something like that like
1: not like thinking like oh we're amazing but just that you had something special between you guys
3: well we knew he had something special because you know Phil Ramon was the one that that took us under his wing knowing that this was special this yeah. combination of players was definitely a special mm-hmm. you know uh, Billy knew it because he said on on glass houses I want, that band that's playing live to play with me, all, everybody in the studio. Nobody overdubs. There's yep. no overdubs on the on the, uh, on the Glass Houses album. It's just us, the same guys that you saw on the stage.
1: I think here's something we should touch on a bit. Russell's sense of humor.
3: <laughs> I told we, we were talking, you know, you, you obviously know I have a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. So me and Anna and uh, May, my four-year-old, are sitting at the breakfast table the other day and we we're talking about ballet, ballet. Oh no, karate. We're talking about karate. Because May is taking uh, um, taekwondo now, wow. <laughs> four years old to take taekwondo. It's the cutest thing ever. That's hilarious. But anyway, we're talking, and I said, "You know, uh, you know, you remember Russell, right, May?" And she said, "Yeah." I said, "You know, he had a pink pink belt in ballet. He used to say he had a pink belt in ballet." And she looked, May looked at her mother and said, "What's wrong with Russell?" <laughs> Oh, my and God! Of course, Anna said, yeah, that's Russell May.
1: <laughs> she saw it, right? I, like, oh, it took. that's it. She, oh
3: God. she, she had a big. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, he, he had the best sense of humor. I mean, uh, you know, there was a TV show. I'm watching uh, Arrested Development. You know, I, I didn't watch it when it was first out, but I'm catching up on it. And somebody uh, on the, the, the show said a joke like, uh, you ask me what makes me so funny, and you ask, and you go, what makes you so And as soon as they say it, you go, timing, you know, <laughs> for right? That was one of the first jokes Russell's father told me. Really? Yeah. He used to, Russell's father used to go, you want to see my pride and joy? You know, you're, you're thinking like his family. Right, he right. would take out a picture of the bottle of pride and joy, the two the cleaning this, this is my pride and joy and russell still has that in his wallet now that's hilarious <laughs> he wrote some funny lyrics to russell oh well ugly yeah. lady the lyrics are in the book you know and just the, the fact she closed the light she hit the switch with a good hand
1: <laughs> it's like you're trying to picture this woman in your head you're like oh my god right
3: just, she's looking at me i couldn't sleep you know <laughs>
1: and then the, the music that's wrapped around it it's it's so yeah. like they should not belong together but they right. do
3: they do <laughs> so funny oh, so funny
1: and a lot of that i'm sure carried on in the in the studio and on on tour certainly
3: oh there were there were times we had to stop the session we were laughing so hard things <laughs> even phil ramone you know and phil had that same humor you know, I don't think I, I even mentioned in the book where Phil once was eating pizza. He got a new shirt, brand new shirt he's wearing to the studio. Beautiful shirt. Loves it. He's eating pizza. Little sauce gets on it, takes the napkin, wipes it off. He's More sauce, wipes it off. Finally, he looks. It drops the sauce again, and he looks at the pizza. And he goes, you want the shirt? Take the fucking shirt. There you go. He just takes a slice of his shirt. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. That's so good. Me and
3: Russell used to make up these excuses of why we were late getting to the studio. I, I did this one thing where Russell actually wrote it about how I was watching the family feud on TV and my television blew up and my glasses went flying and I, and I, I couldn't see. And my wife had to get me to the eye doctor or something. A really long, long story. Right. So I get yeah. the note to Phil to first. He reads this whole note. About my glasses flying and I can't find them and all this kind of stuff. Russ comes in and hands filled a note, he opens it up and just says, Russell was late because he got hit with a pair of flying glasses. <laughs> it's hilarious.
1: <laughs> what do you think are some of the, the most invaluable things that Russell brought to the table? What made him being a part of this band so so important?
3: He knew music. I mean, he knew he knew rock and roll. What Billy lacked, if you, you hear on the on the earlier albums before us, is There was no real rock and roll in there, you know. uh, It it was great songs. Oh, sure. But the music was done by studio musicians, and it it sounds like that. Right. You know, we came in there, and and Top of was a rock band, you know, that, like you said, we took all this weird stuff, and and it became a pop song, you know. Right. um, And we we brought that rock to Billy, and Russell knew that rock, really well you know he he knew that less was more he knew you know how to get around that guitar without getting in the way of things which is difficult to do with any instrument when you have a piano player because you know billy's all over the place sure yeah so so you really have to know where you're you're fitting in and russell did that really well and a great songwriter too you know i mean uh, evident of Karen Carpenter doing his tunes
1: that you know, experience both, you know, with writing and playing in rock and roll and all, all those different elements we've talked about, you know, I think that that led to a lot of what was important about, you know, those recordings as well, because, yeah, you know, it does say, you know, written by Billy Joel, but you all had a hand in shaping right, how these songs ended up.
3: Exactly. I can remember sitting in the studio and I could not figure out what to play on Set Trois. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm trying everything and I can see Russell doing the same thing that Phil Ramon did on Just the Way You Are, playing a little something in an air drums. And I'm thinking, like, that could be cool, you know? But that's the way that the band was. I I could tell David Brown, why don't you try this? Or, you know, uh, uh, I remember telling Richie what to play in stiletto on the organ, bop, bop. That, you know, just very percussive, you know. Yeah. And, and and things like that. And, and and you know, Richie telling me, like, what do you hear? Good only good I young. You're good, you're gonna it's good. you're gonna drive me crazy, you know, stuff like that. You know, we did that for each other. If it wasn't for Russell, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today because I probably would not have pursued the career that he poked me with a needle and said, You need to do this. I need you to do this, you know. That, that's what it was more like. It wasn't, you need to do this. It was, I need you to do this. You know, the dream was always that we would play together. Yeah. And he had that dream. It was like, I need you to do this because I need you for me to complete this 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 vision that I have. Well, I say one, you say two. I sing it to an old wizardry
2: magic for a little baby. baby.
1: Lib, thanks so much for talking with us. I know you and Russell go so far back and... You two have such a connection that clearly remains to this day. So it was great having you share some memories of Russell.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, due to scheduling, I couldn't hop on that call. But I got to say, on top of hearing all these great stories about Russell, just hearing you and Liberty banter is a treat in and of itself. A few episodes ago, we published our long interview with Richie Cannata. And mentioned that it was originally for an upcoming episode. Well, clearly this is that episode. And what we're going to play today is all new. None of this is repeated uh, from the one we put out a few episodes back. You know, like we said, we kind of did all our talking about Russell. And then the conversation just went from there. And it was so great that it warranted its own episode. And in this segment, we had a chance to talk more
1: specifically with Richie about working with Russell back in the 70s and 80s and their musical relationship
2: and friendship back then. So here's Richie Cannata.
4: met Russell, of course, when, when I joined the band, Liberty and Doug and Russ were working together before. So they all knew each other. I was basically the new guy. It wasn't really a guitar player's situation where, you know, he wasn't shredding. It was more like comping and Billy had certain things that he needed him to, for him to do. Russell was more of a songwriter guitar player. It was more like Russell new parts and he had a good rhythm style of playing. Russell and I were immediately friends and are probably more friends now. His personality is very funny, very dry sense of humor, loves the Yankees like I do, which bridges us together a whole bunch. As we get older, what do you have? Well, you you know, it's, it's a path to meeting God at some point, but that path is fun when you can talk with guys who you've been around with for 40 years and uh, it's just a wonderful, the, the set of jokes become even funny, funnier and funnier as we get older. And he'll come up with the most driest thing. Uh, just when you think that it's really quiet in the room, he'll come up with something and he'll he'll make his belly laugh. Russell was always there. It's him and his wife were always just friends of ours. And I think it's awesome. Him and Suzanne have been stayed married all this time. It's like a safety blanket, you know, for, for me when Russell's around. I just feel very comfortable when he's there. He's a dear friend. I could talk to him about anything at any time. He always picks up the phone. He's a true, honest friend, and I love him. Well, I don't know what to do, baby. Get back on
1: my feet. Again, thanks, Richie, for sitting down with us. Uh, It's always a pleasure to hear your stories, and it was a real treat to get your thoughts on
2: Russell here. Yeah, that conversation was just a gift that keeps on giving.
1: We also had the opportunity to sit here with Jesse Javers, who is Russell's son. Jesse has a unique perspective as he was born in 1977 as things were really taking off in the Billy Joel world. So we had a chance to sit down and get his perspective on growing up with your dad in a famous band and, you know, getting to see your dad on MTV as a kid. We heard some really interesting takes and some experiences that not too many people have.
2: When did you become aware of the fact that your dad was Billy Joel's guitarist? Like when did the, the gravity start to sink in?
0: You know, I think it was probably a, a process that took a little while to for me to realize, you know, I mean, growing up it was inextricably linked to my childhood. Um, you know, I had guitars all over the house and mm-hmm. things of that nature, but it probably uh was when I went to see my dad at work, you know, going to either Nassau Coliseum (laughs) or Madison Square Garden. And then, you know, seeing him up on stage playing, um, that's probably when it really sunk in. But then of course, you know, with the MTV videos and uh, (laughs) show me another kid uh, on the block who could turn on MTV and see their dad. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's certainly unique.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The band, the Liv and Doug and... um, and everybody you know these were family um these were just people that i grew up with uh i was the first kid in the band i think and uh, you know this was just part of everyday life it probably would have been weird if it was something else because i didn't know any didn't know any different (laughs) you know you got to remember too i was born in 77 so uh there were good, uh, a good portion of that uh, was not registering with me until (laughs) a lot later in life. But um, yeah, yeah, I do remember, I think like when it came to matter of trust, I I very much remember um, my dad going into the wherever I think they were in the city recording.
2: I want to ask this because we recently spoke with Richie Cannata and he talked about how, you know, Even now he practices from like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Did your father practice a lot in the house on his own?
0: Absolutely. You know, when I think about my childhood in those years, it always involved him playing guitar somewhere. Um, So we had a little studio of sorts in the basement. So, you know, he'd be playing down there doing that. But really, um, and I don't think this has anything to do with necessarily uh, when an album was being recorded or whatnot, my dad's a guitar player. He's a singer songwriter, you know, he plays guitar. That's just part of who he is. So, uh, that happened and and happens all the time. So that was very much a part of, part of growing up. You
1: spoke a bit about, you know, going to see your dad at NASA or MSG, things like that. Do you have any specific early memories when, you know, those early times actually going to see what your dad did. I
0: I think, you know, I think back to MSG, I think back to National Coliseum and, and going to see him play there. And, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was certainly cool to see the show, but it was cooler to run around backstage. And, uh, you know, I used to bring my skateboard and, and, you know, I, I used to, just sort of explore, go under the stage when, uh, when everybody was playing. So it was a really cool time. And what was really fun about those times too, is that, you know, the band really made me feel like, uh, because I was one of the first kids. Yeah. Like I was part of something. So I even remember having my own little Lords of 52nd street jacket. Um, <laughs> that's awesome it was really cool and you know, of course all the backstage uh passes and things of that nature but yeah i mean it was um it was it was a it was a great time and and it was a good atmosphere and, and good vibe i mean I, I was young but just you know that camaraderie even that i felt of of being in a band you know being able to see what that sort of must have felt like for my dad um it was yeah it was it was really it was really great and, and again of course these folks uh they were they were family you know these were the people who who my dad you know lived and dug uh he grew up with them right so
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in fact uh you know my mother and uncle you know grew up with with liberty i think even before he met my dad it just, when I say it, it was family, it's because it truly was. And and that was really my memory of, of those days.
1: You could feel that close connection that they had. And that's why when Billy finally flipped the switch to turnstiles and wanted those guys together as a unit in the studio and on the stage, you could really feel the close connection that they all had together.
0: That close connection just wasn't from being friends. It was from the all the work they put in together as musicians with my dad's band Topper growing up, you know I, I think you know if anyone should probably get a credit on those old records it should be my grandmother and grandfather because uh, <laughs> you know they hosted the the creation of, of that band in their basement uh, for for many years and I feel like that's where that sound was really created. You know my dad would tell me stories about how. He'd been playing with these guys for so long that they just had this innate sort of understanding of what everyone was about to do or knew what needed to be done, that that isn't just something you, you bring together and, and get overnight. Post Billy, my dad started a new career. He, he became a very successful executive in the toy industry and um, had a real long career with that. And in addition to the work that he did in that space, he also was always connected back to the music industry. I remember him working on various different projects and and some really cool stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, post Billy was a big career change. But w- when I look back at that from the eyes now of an adult, uh, thinking about, wow, you know that th- that is quite a pivot. Um, I have nothing but respect and, and admiration for him in how not only he did it, but in how he handled himself uh, during that. So it was uh, really, I think, uh, something to to learn from. And everybody thinks of my dad as as uh, having played guitar with, with Billy Joel, which, you know, of course he did. And, and that was a huge defining thing. Yeah. However, when I think of him I think of him as a singer-songwriter. You know, I think of him as, in my opinion, really one of the best songwriters there are. And I uh, wish that that folks would, would be able to hear this music and and hear it the way that I heard it growing up. You know, I play guitar. I consider myself to be a musician. And th- that inspiration to, to do that was drawn directly from... Not only seeing my dad play with Billy, but seeing him play around the house and just how powerful his music is in the way that he plays it. So, um, you know, I think of him first and foremost as a singer songwriter.
1: Seeing his songs on um, like the Karen Carpenter record, for example, I'm like, that made perfect sense because he's a guy I could see writing for so many people. You know, he can do the silly, the tongue in cheeks. There's some of the funny stuff I remember hearing on some of the early Topper material. But he could also go real deep. And I've always seen Russell as a songwriter that can really go anywhere. You know, I'd love to see both him and other people do his material.
0: You mentioned the Karen Carpenter record. I mean, I think it's a testament to what a songwriter he is. She recorded a bunch of songs for that album. And, you know, Paul Simon had several songs on it. And I think my dad had just as many songs on it if not more, maybe Um, don't quote me on that. But I mean, that's the company that, you know, that he that that he was in. But apart from even songwriting, he had such a unique guitar playing style. You know, they used to call him the Sultan of Subtle. I don't know if you if you know (laughs) that. Yeah, yeah. What I think of in terms of his guitar playing style is somebody who is always doing something in service of the song, not trying to showboat or and he can. Right. But he, he doesn't. And he is the very rhythmic, percussive player mm-hmm. that, you know, derives a lot of power in what he doesn't play. I think, um, you know, a lot of those spaces and the, and the empty space. And that takes a lot of, you know, discipline and awareness This is also why I think people need to hear his music, because when you pull everything else out and you just hear somebody playing guitar, it really shines through um, even better. But um, yeah, I mean, he's just a fantastic guitar player as well.
1: And I always thought he served those Billy songs so well. And you're right. It's in some of those songs, nothing will jump out at you per se. But if you take it away, it's a whole different thing.
0: It's funny because the music that I gravitate towards is uh, more of folk and blues and, and things like that. But I feel like there's so many similarities in the way that that he plays uh, as a solo musician with a lot of those other more solo styles.
1: Have you uh, discussed with him at all about getting some of his music out there? I know he's re- recording back in the day, but I mean, he's been writing and recording for years and It's a shame. No one's really heard it yet.
0: Hopefully that'll, that'll come to pass one of these days. Again, I look at this through the lens of, of how I heard his music growing up as a kid, which was him playing it on the couch uh, at at home. And to me, that was the first thing I heard before ever I heard any of the recordings of Topper. So that is what I associate with. Right. And, to me, that is the way it should be played. <laughs> um, you know, not with with the band. And I often talk to him about this. Um, but I, I hope, I truly hope that 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 he does release some stuff, and and that you know, as part of that, he can um, let let people hear how he is uh, as a solo musician. <laughs>
1: If there's anything we can do to help facilitate that, uh, I'd be happy to. We'll start uh, the
2: petition, yeah. It it, it needs to be heard. (laughs) Did your dad play around with a lot of different guitar sounds and styles? I mean, you know, again, you know, we've been talking about how he really plays in service to the song and things like that. Uh, At home, was he a little more experimental or did he tinker around with a lot of different things that you might not hear him play on a record? Well,
0: I mean, he's a huge fan of the Beatles and and early rock and roll and and also reggae. I remember, you know, a lot of reggae um, sort of uh, stuff, you know, if he got into a record or whatever. But um, thinking back to to that time, it it was really his acoustic stuff um, that that he was playing That is, I guess, um, I mean, it really is his own style. So that mm. that's my primary uh, memory. <laughs> I'll tell you what I do remember, though, is, uh, you know, thinking back to when those videos would come on uh, on MTV. I will say it was a little eerie uh, how dead on the hair and makeup team nailed for the longest time because he really <laughs> did grow into that look. I feel like. <laughs>
2: Um, You know, you talk about how there was that real sense of family, that real sense of camaraderie. Uh, When you heard that the Lords were getting back together, even just for the Long Island Music Hall of Fame reunion, what were your initial thoughts about that? I
0: think my initial thought was, I don't think their original jackets and T-shirts are going (laughs) to (laughs) fit. No, but I mean, seriously, it's great. I, I remember just thinking this would be this would be so cool if it could even evolve into something bigger um which it you know of course then did they all sound so great playing together that to to go on and not try and rekindle that in some way Mm -hmm. i think would have been a shame so it's really nice that they're they're able to keep doing it you know i've seen a couple of their shows um they don't come through tennessee very often so it's tough to to, (laughs) to see stuff down here but um but yeah, I mean, they, they all just sound so great together. Uh, it's it's truly amazing that you you, you never lose it. And um, in fact, I think they they sound even better from what I understand of their shows now. They they try and change up the set list quite a bit, so there's always either you know something to to keep them busy, uh, <laughs> yeah, remembering how to play or or uh, reinventing.
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember if your dad was uh, necessarily excited or a little nervous or sort of wondering what the reunion was going to be like, or did it feel like it was just more natural for him to pick it back up?
0: They, They did something that not a lot of people ever get to do. And that is to create the soundtrack to so many people's lives. And whether it's, you know, people playing the songs at home or getting to play it in front of large crowds, I've got to think, any opportunity to to do that um, has to be welcomed. So um, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but that would be my take.
2: <laughs> yeah. As you uh, got older, or even when you were younger, and, and were listening to, to Billy's albums, were there any particular parts uh, of your dad's playing that really stuck out to you? Any any of like your favorite of your dad's moments on on record?
0: All of my favorite songs. <laughs> I hate to say roll of the guitar songs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Visually and and just sort of experientially, the song that I always gravitate to because of having this image of when I was young and watching my dad up on the stage was, you know, Goodnight Saigon, where he would kick it off on the edge of the stage. And um, that one always, um, I think, is one of my favorites. I really like Don't Ask Me Why.
2: Do you think there are any parts that are really indicative of the way your father plays? You know, because we know that he plays in service of the song and, you know, obviously it was somebody else's band. Are there any moments that you're like, you know, that sounds like the guy in my house, not a record?
0: Well, I think keeping the faith for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's a great example. But, you know, a a lot of... uh, you know, they're all there. Um, You may be right. Is a, is a good example. Don't ask me why really is a good one. I mean, that's a great guitar riff and very rhythmic that's got my father all over that. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, too a lot of the way that my dad plays, you know, I want to say is influenced uh, in part by Keith Richards and, and his approach to to playing you know which i believe he refers to is um weaving um where you know you've got the this room for the other guitars to come in and out of and mm-hmm. uh you know it's part of that 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 machine that ebbs and flows and you're leaving space for the other person and and that's you know he I, he thinks like that uh, as a guitar player that mentality uh you know shines through in his playing it, it's great that that the guys are out there doing this again. And um, I know it's uh, something my dad enjoys thoroughly and it's, uh, it's great for me to see him get back up on stage and, and sound as, as great as he sounded back in the day. So it's just, uh, it, it's really an excellent thing from, from my point of view. And I've said it you know before and I'll take another minute to say it again. Um, I think the world needs to hear my dad's music, uh, because as I think of him, while he did play guitar for Billy Joel, my father's a singer songwriter and, and his music is, uh, is just as good as anything that's, that's ever been written. And uh, people really need to hear that.
3: I get tired, I...
0: My feet don't reach the ground
4: Then I'm with you I get by cause I know that you need
3: the Baby, close your eyes
4: I can't sleep
0: tonight
4: and
0: did
4: I of you?
2: All right, Jesse, once again, thanks for speaking with us. Another great conversation. Originally, we planned to have this be a single episode, uh, but we had such a great talk and heard so many great stories that we decided that the chat with Russell should stand on its own.
1: Oh, absolutely. This truly was a special conversation. You know, I, I can't wait for everyone to hear it because it was really exciting and such a treat to gain more insight into Russell's life and career.
2: So stay tuned in a few weeks. Uh, we'll talk with Russell about his life, his career with Billy Joel, and a whole lot more.
0: Baby,
4: close
0: your eyes I can't sleep tonight
4: I'll be of you i